The following message is being transmitted at the request of the Boundless Pod Trap Movie Review and the guys of the BPT. What you are about to hear contains spoilers to movies. If you don't want to hear these spoilers, please disengage your listening device at this time. If you can't handle those with a possible differing view on a movie, you may also want to disengage your listening device at this time. Stay tuned for a movie review that only the guys at the Boundless Pod Trap can give you. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Welcome, everyone, to the BPT Movie Podcast. I am your host, Lonnie. With me, as always, are my misters from different sisters. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. Why'd you uh, do the spooky intro? Because this movie is fantastic. I got Jeremy and Justin with me. Gee, see, see that, guys? We didn't fuck up the intro this time. I didn't. Oh. That's what I'm saying. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, an easy one. I feel like he's blaming me for something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boys, tonight's going to be a good one. Is it, though? I hope so. <laughs> I, you know, and I, I was so apprehensive on doing this movie. Why? Because um, it's, I, I told myself when we, when we were talking about starting this podcast and we were, we were putting down ideas that I wasn't going to do this movie because it's my favorite movie of all time. You're sensitive to it. And it's not that I'm sensitive to it. It's the fact that you don't I want, wasn't going to be able to to put negatives to it. You don't want our ideas oh, to. I, I, I think we can help you that. No. <laughs> you don't want our ideas okay. to corrupt your. Well, no, no, it's childhood. not even that. There's nothing anyone can say that's going to make this movie not the best movie of all time for me. Well, it's just like you shit on Alpha Dog last time. Well, and yeah. that, that, well, and that's a good thing about it too. Like, I'm going to respect your opinions, just like like you it, you respected my opinion last week. Our last episode, I hope. Until we left your house. Oh, yeah. And then you were in the driveway. I could hear him like, that's fucking mean. But no. and You heard that? (laughs) Well, Well, as much as you guys could hear me fucking beat my meat the second you walked out the door. I was like, whoo, you freedom. You you started before we left. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. You start dinner late. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I finally decided that, you know, if we all have our loves for movies, so I decided that. We are, in fact, going to talk about the 1986. Stand by me. Well, let me ask you this. Why do you assume that we're going to hate this movie? I didn't. I just didn't I, want I, it. I don't. Bullshit. He you, just assumes his everything. rating is going to be higher than ours because it's his favorite movie. Well, that, and there's well, nothing I could, I'm not going to be that, the movie could be better with this. All I'm going to do is sit and gush about this. Like, I would never put a whole bunch of women in a room and go, say something negative about my dick. They just couldn't do it. <laughs> This is Let's true. put this to the test. <laughs> We're a couple blocks away from a strip club. <laughs> In Council Bluffs, Iowa. The quality is immense. Well, I guess let's uh, have you read the synopsis and everything. Like I said before, this is the 1986 classic Stand By Me, directed by Rob Reiner, based on the novella 
written by Stephen King, The Body, after the death of one of his childhood friends, a writer recounts the childhood journey with his friends to find the body of a missing boy. Boys, obviously you know my opinion on the movie. I've stated it many times in the intro. I talked about this movie ad nauseum in conversations we've had. Uh, what's your opinions on it? Scale of 1 to 10. Um, Ratings right now? Yeah. What, what is your rating first? Well, oh, are you fucking kidding me? To say a <laughs> yeah. 10? Yeah. A 1 out of 10. I'd give it, it wouldn't a be a BPT nine, movie review without a 10. 962. Over 900,000. So for me, I had not seen this movie in well over 20 years. I didn't remember. I mean, I have vague memories of it because right. I was like probably like 10 the last time I saw it. So it was kind of interesting to watch it again. I don't know. Sometimes when you wa- haven't seen a movie for so long, you kind of think of other movies. And right. I, there, there was a lot of things that I thought happened in this movie that must have been another movie that I saw a long time ago that came out around the same time. Don't do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I can't really say that this movie blew me away. I think that I think a lot more could have been done with this movie, which I will get into kind of later with the what would you change about it. But it wasn't a bad movie. So I'm going to give this right in the middle of five. Okay. Can't say anything too negative about it, but I'm, I can't like really boast about it so much either. So I'm going to give it a five. Sounds good. Me? Yep. It's, I'm the only one left, huh? Yeah. Okay. That's how that works. All right. Figured that out. I I really like this movie, primarily because it did bring me back to a simpler time. It's so easy to let the movie absorb you. I had like cousins and stuff I used to hang out with. It was like backwoods type of lives. You know, they lived like in a little woodland area and it kind of just took me back to those days. Just joshing off of each other and yeah, the synopsis of it. I don't know if the synopsis really worked well for me. It works well for the movie. It and I think it's just the interactions between the kids, the boys. It was so easy to just put myself into there i have to give it an eight it's not middle of the road it's not the best movie out there for myself but it reminds me of not necessarily better times but better times with obstacles challenges the initial discovery of what it means to be somebody yourself to arrive at um, your own opinions kind of coming out of a shell right well it's it's the quintessential coming of age story like there's there's certain movies that are that coming of age story that true like starting from really the the beginning with your friends and developing who you are through a journey and then that narrator character at the end kind of finishing your right. life and I put it up to like a foggy mirror and then you're just kind of wiping it off it's like fuck this is me like right. you know they they're finally there's so much that they don't necessarily realize about themselves until until it's just later. Like, right. holy shit, yeah, okay, I can see that. Yeah. Now, I know I said I don't have, like, a lot of negative things to say, but I feel like I'm going to have to be the devil's advocate, kind of. No, absolutely. With, with this thing. And this thing, I mean, there's a few things I, I, I don't know, I just couldn't get into. Like, Teddy, Corey Feldman's character. Yeah. When they get chased out of that junkyard or whatever it is and climb the fence, how he went from like joking around and that to like going to kill that guy because of like how he's talking about his his dad. It's like that to me, that wasn't believable. I didn't think that a kid would react that way, especially him who's like really didn't know his dad that much or whatever. Right. I I mean, not only that, but 
His dad was a sensitive subject and just using the words like loony or loser or crazy, loony, like it yeah. sets him off. Right. And I mean, I've, I've knew kids who just overreacted over the smallest things and well, and it's, it's and not, plus it's just, it's, I just think it's him. <laughs> is it, I think his character in general just wasn't developed that well because they're all walking along, along the train tracks. And then all of a sudden that train comes and he's playing chicken with it. Like he didn't care if he died. And it's like, where the fuck did that come from? Like why, why all of a sudden did you, and then you're getting in a fight with, with your friends. And to me, I just think that that character was kind of all over the place and didn't really make sense that he was right. Well, if you think about the dichotomy of the, the four main characters, the Will Wheaton it's Gordy. Who's obviously the, is the, the sensitive one. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can almost say he's the main-ish character of the story. I want to put him as the, the sensitive one, but, I mean, like, he was the more revealing, but I don't think he was the most sensitive. I wouldn't, sensitive is, it's the, it, I would say isn't the best term, out, but has the most depth. Yeah. So he has the most feeling in him, especially with the loss of his brother. Kind of. And. I think Chris is probably the more in tune with his, like, he has more. He tries to put on the facade for his friends. He tries to be the leader because nobody has to. He needs to step up to the plate exactly. because he he has been roughed up enough. He, Chris has the most the most adult tendencies. He's right. the one who's had definitely the hardest life. Right. He has. He's the one. Well, who, him and Teddy. Teddy. Yeah. Teddy was beat by his dad or his well, got his his drunk ass dad. Yeah, got his head held to the the stove. But yeah, Chris Chris Chambers played by the late River Phoenix definitely held the the character of the the protector. Yeah. Like protected his friends. Corey Feldman, the Teddy Teddy Duchamp, definitely a wild card. And the suicidal thing I think was less of wanting to be suicidal but was more as that very pro war, very pro World War 2. So I think it was less of a suicide and more of a look how brave I am. Yeah, he wanted because he, he wanted to do the train dodge. He wanted to see how quick he could get out out of the way. He needed to prove something to himself mainly because as much as he wanted to be acknowledged by his dad, he wasn't acknowledged, not necessarily well, or even accepted. Right. So to prove something to his close friends who do see him as an equal was important to him. Right. And if you look at what happened with the guy at the the junkyard it almost is like stockholm syndrome a little bit like his dad was nothing but a prick to him and all he had really was his mom so when but he did have his dad's story of serving you know being a right a, a soldier and when that was attacked he instantly went on the defensive because that's all he has left and that's all he knows but even though the person was terrible to him that memory and that pride is what yeah. pushed him through. I think the pride is weakness. Right. In a lot of cases when it's just overly, when it's, when there's no grounding to it, it's like, it's good to be proud of something, to have a little bit of pride about it, but to have it be your leading, your serving nature, that's going to be your downfall. Right. And, and that's then what was his. So, yeah. And then the Ofish, the fourth one of the group, the Ofish chubby Jerry O'Connell. I, I love, I love Jerry O'Connell. Totally didn't even realize that that was him until like, doing research on this i'm like oh shit yeah <laughs> i didn't realize how much i really like jerry o'connor and almost everything that he does like well most everything there's some <laughs> things there was like flops i'm like oh. yeah but in this movie he played that perfect 
like tag along friend. He's really not good for much. I would say he's the most sensitive out of the group. He's the, I wouldn't probably, I can see that being sensitive, but he is the one who's just there for fun. Like you're going to get the least out of him. I don't know if I would say most sensitive. Again, I'd still put Chris because the way that Chris, like Rivers Phoenix, when he broke down, was like, fuck. And Gordy didn't even cry at his brother's funeral. So I didn't think that he was like sensitive. He was still trying. He was, he was putting his little feelers out there too attached to something. Right. Like he didn't know what was what. Like he was like, am I weird? Like seriously, do you think I'm weird? And like he was trying to just find some sort of sense of self. And right. that's what the, the goal of the movie was, was to find that body to actually become something. Right. To get on the TV. So, and, and the rest of the cast in this film, re-watching it, and, and I watch it probably once a year, Kiefer Sutherland. Reefer Sutherland. Bradley Gregory. <laughs> What's, what, what was... Uh, Richard Dreyfus. Gordy, his brother. What was that I can't, that actor's name? I, I forget what... Um, John Cusack? Yes. yes. Like, that was a, such a small role for him. But at the time, I was this like when he was just breaking out? Or and had he been? He's been in some other stuff by then. But you got to think. So this was a Rob Reiner movie. And from that decade, when this movie came out, from like 1984 to 1994, like that stretch, Rob Reiner was the guy. If you could get in a Rob Reiner film, you were pretty much made. Well, this was the movie that made him. No. I feel. No. If you listen to interviews with him, he said that this was like something completely different than he had ever done. And that he feels like this is what, this was the movie that people finally looked at him and made him who he was. Well, so I got the list. 1984, he made This Is Spinal Tap. 1985, he made The Sure Thing. 1986, he made Stand By Me. 1987, he made The Princess Bride. Took 1998 off, or 1988 off. In 1989, he made When Harry Met Sally. In 1990, he made Misery. In 1992, he made A Few Good Men. And then in 1994, he made North, which got nominated for six Razzies and uh, Worst Film of the Year in 1995. So other than North, he had one of the best runs of a decade of movies being made. So as much as I love Stand By Me, I mean, there's some other super heavy hitters in there. Well, I mean, I'm just going by what he said in the interview. Like He said that Stand By Me was definitely something different. It was something that his dad wouldn't have even wanted to do. And so he thought he would take the steps and make a movie like this. And he said at the time, after they made the movie, they did a private screening for Stephen King. Yeah. And at the time, Stephen King pulled him aside. One of the more important parts. Yeah. Yeah. So this is one of the best film adaptations of one of his novels that he He had ever seen. Fuck Pet Cemetery. And like, watch your tongue over there, boy. And Rob said he was so nervous that he thought that, because like after the movie, Stephen King walked out of the room and didn't say anything. And he's like, fuck, he didn't like it. But then that's when he came back in and told him, like, best thing. And so, I mean, to have Stephen King tell you something like that is honor in itself. Yeah, because he's had, like, 323 movies made, I think it was. I looked at his list. And when you think of this movie, if you're not a super huge fan of this movie and you just have seen it a couple times or talk about it, this movie's known for basically – Two, maybe three scenes is synonymous with this movie. It's the leech scene where all the kids go swimming and get covered in leeches. 
the pie eating scene, which mm, eat it. Yep, that scene. <laughs> um, yes. See the boundless pod trap for for uh, <laughs> reference there, and uh, the finding of the body scene. Like those three scenes are basically what this movie is known for. But this movie has so much. Like, if you break it down and just all the scenes with the kids, Will Wheaton and River Phoenix are basically one part, and Corey Feldman and Jerry O'Connell are another part. And when they're together, you can definitely tell the difference in Stephen King's writing because the Gordy and Chris are having these existential conversations of, like, life and growing and how they're going to be. And in that same moment, Teddy and Vern are back here just Talking about goofing off and Mighty having Mouse a good and Superman, time. Those types of right, yeah. like what kids do. So you can see that difference in age and mentality. Basically, watching yourself grow and watching yourself stay still, and a lot of that, like at the end when the narrator's going through what happens in their life, you can see that difference. How their lives unfold has a lot to do with their mentality as as children and how they pan out and. It's just amazing. I, I like the diversity of like all of the boys are kind of experiencing issues with their family Absolutely, life. Absolutely, yeah. Yet they create a bond or a family with just each other. And they're just different avenues. And something I think most anybody can relate to at one or many time of their life, I guess, or in their young age, in their youth. It's like, who were who would you say was you growing up? Mm, well, I'm definitely not River Phoenix's character. I'm definitely not Corey Feldman's character. I feel like I my, know. my I, brother was a big Corey Feldman character. I, th- I think I think I could have been along the Vern side of things because he was kind of I don't want to say the scaredy cat of the group, but he kind of was. I mean, like when the train's coming at him, he just kind of gave up. He curled into a ball on the track, and he was going to let the train run him over. I think he was kind of scared to take some chances, and I think I was kind of that way. I mean, I took chances as a kid, but I think a lot of my friends were more of the daredevils, and I was kind of like the oh, we shouldn't do that type of thing. And I'll get a scratch. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I brought the comb. But I, I mean, guess I would probably also see him more of like a Vern and Gordy clash. Yeah, I, I'd say I'm I kind of fat kid Gordy. growing up, so <laughs> I wasn't fat. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you both look at me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I am now. Uh-huh. I get it. So, what about the cobras? What'd you guys think of the cobras? They're nothing without. Reefer Sutherland. <laughs> really? Yeah, he was He was definitely the head of the group. But even Eyeball Chambers, he played that crony role very well. That soft-spoken, that like... Yeah, I wonder like if he would play that role well, or the character himself, not the actor himself. I wonder if the character himself would play that role without the company of... Keither, so I always say Reefer. He's looking all right. Hey, why you you talk right now? The Lost Boys, Boys poster. Yeah. Without his presence there, I wonder if he would still go as far as he does. I mean, like he took the hat. He well, that's, that's the older brother of Chris. Yeah. So, and I don't think he had any qualms of putting his brother down. Or- I think Ace was the only good part about that. The rest of the gang, I just thought. I mean, they like the two guys who were. Kind of scared, like, should we go with? Like, right. They, I mean, 
Yeah, they, they they weren't very intimidating. The only one that was was Ace. They're only intimidating because it's a bigger group, right? Right. But that that, that kind of like gets to you know strength in numbers. I thought I thought the ending was kind of when they found the body. It was kind of like, all right, we're there. This is what the whole movie's been about. And then it's just like, oh, that's it. Okay, we're done with the scene, and nothing really happened. Like I think Ace pussied out. And yeah, he said, oh, he had a gun I, I'm, to him. I'm never going to forget this or whatever and walks away. And it's like, well, apparently he did because nothing happened later on with hey. it. It's just like, I, I don't know. I felt that there should have been more to it. And I think again, it's, I'll, I'll get more into that with the, what would you have done differently? Right. Because the boys didn't claim, they didn't take claim of the prize. And that way that they, the Cobras didn't also get their, their claim to fame. Yeah, to, but if you're a, if you're a badass, you ain't you don't care. I mean, yeah. you you only care about getting the the fame from it, and whether they took it or not, I still think like, oh, that's kind of kind of yeah. a yeah. pussy thing. I think also that could have also exposed the pussiness of Ace in front of his clan, in front of his gang. It's like Gordy was the one who kind of stepped up and point the weapon to him. I thought that was a very which that was a Rob Reiner. Switch in the original script, it was supposed to be Chris, uh, Chris that yeah. pulled the gun. But Rob Reiner thought that it would be more impactful For if Chris Gordy did, yeah. and that was actually one thing Stephen King commended him yeah. on too. He's like, "That was a great call right. to do that." I think that works better too because the person who's supposed to be the leader of the boys, you know, Chris, and he's kind of shaking at this point when the boys show up to try to take their claim. The contrast to both of that, to them, the groups arriving at the body, it's like the boys didn't have to do, oh, they discovered a lot about themselves. They not only explored the terrain, but they explored the the background, who they are, how they are, what got them to where they are, and they've arrived at the body while the Cobras just drove there. They right. took all the shortcuts they can. They didn't really learn anything. And well, they learned that they were bitches at the end. <laughs> but no, and for Gordy to step up, point the gun, finger on the trigger, even just that warning shot, it, it kind of gave him a little bit of a power. I mean, that was the second time he he shot the weapon. First time in the beginning <laughs> the when, trash can, when Chris yeah. was saying it wasn't loaded. You know, and Chris laughed about that. But here Chris is shaken because he was a lot of support. Not saying that it, it degraded from his character, but it showed that he was not above the boys, but that he was still of the boys. You know, I think that one thing that should have happened was Gordy, when he had the gun pointed, he should have got his hat back. Yeah, yeah it, they should have came back to that. I love wraparounds. Yeah. Reach around. I mean, yeah. They, <laughs> that would have just been like pouring salt on the open wound to them and just kind of a feel-good moment for you, the viewer at home. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, because Chris was... Saying, you know, like, you know, leave it alone. You know, let's go. I feel like Chris could have got the hat back easily because it's going to be at his house. Uh, That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I think the movie is more about the journey and less about the outcome. Yeah. And I think when Stephen King initially wrote it, it was more about the development of the boys and less about the story. And I think Rob Reiner and the writers of the screenplay kind of held very true to that. I think they could have completely cut out the Cobras, and I think they even could have completely cut out the whole body aspect of it. Just had kids going to camp or just going from point A to point B, and you still would have got a great coming-of-age tale. Um, Throwing that extra in there 
put a little bit more depth into why that I can't say isn't necessarily not needed, but took characters who weren't necessarily needed and gave them a reason to be there. I think without the body, you can justify not having Vern in the group. So that's the only real reason why Vern's in the group. He didn't get an emotional breakdown like everybody else did. He really got hardly any of a backstory other than he was under the porch looking for his pennies and he heard about the body. Like that was really the only point he was in the movie was to get that information. The two skittish cobras were only in the movie to pass along that information. It gave characters a reason to be in the film, which is sometimes necessary. There's a scene with the Cobras that I thought was kind of funny where the radio comes on, you know, like, well, right before it plays Lollipop, it's playing like a little voiceover. (laughs) Yeah. And it stops. The whole radio stops for a good conversation between the boys before it starts back up. Like, and here's Lollipop, Lollipop, Lollipop. Why was there a huge break in silence before a song came That's your job to figure that out. Sound design, (laughs) baby. (laughs) Well, I think part of why I was struggling to make think that make this movie more than just an average movie is knowing it's a Stephen King story. I'm expecting the the weird twist or something yeah. crazy to go on, and it just didn't happen. Like you know, with the body, that is the twist. Yeah. Well, that yeah, but the thing is, like, you're expecting something different. Like when they get to the body, something different's going to happen. And it, I mean, it, it would make more sense what I'm saying. I, I mean, I might as well just tell what I would have done differently now, <laughs> because to me, I felt like, and I know you guys said that this movie's about the journey getting there, which could be, but you know, for those of us that like a little bit more spice in our movies and action in it, like, I think that it was such a long journey to get to the body for little to no payoff when they get to the body and no other like mountains that they have to climb or whatever. And I think to me, I feel like they should have got to the body earlier and what could have made it more interesting and more of a Stephen King type of story to me would have been Gordy pointing the gun at Ace. Shooting his fucking head off. Not (laughs) intending to shoot him, but ended up shooting him by accident and killing him. And now they have, Two, two bodies. bodies that they have to deal with. <laughs> One more body. And that's, yeah. And that's, to, to me, that's where my mind was this whole time. I'm waiting for right. something like that to happen. Just and pull them up to the tracks. It didn't, and it didn't it happen. And I think there's a lot of pointless characters and things in this movie to where it, again, it, it kept my attention, but it didn't grasp my attention to where I'm like, oh my God, like I'm so drawn to this. So right. I don't know. I feel like there should have been something else that happened. And that might be the product of seeing the Stephen King name attached to it. Absolutely. And a lot of people go in with that connotation that it is a Stephen King movie. They're expecting horror. They're expecting over-the-top stuff. But a lot of Stephen King's best movies are non-horror. Like Stephen King also wrote The Green Mile. Stephen King also wrote uh, Shawshank Redemption. So he he is a he does write great, but just not all the time. It's going to be about blood yeah. and guts and horror. It's like his name is synonymous with 
horror. And it, it's kind of like seeing the actors that are like Jim Carrey in 23. Absolutely. It will Fantastic. take you out at first until you can kind of get into it. And you're like, okay, well, he's actually doing pretty decent. Right. It took me out and I, I, I was <laughs> out the whole time. It's like going to a 3D movie where you're wearing the glasses and then like for the first 10 to 20 minutes, you're just like lifting the glasses up and putting them back down <laughs> like, and lifting them up. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Or the, the trailers aren't in 3D and the movie is in 3D. How does that work for you? I, I, can't, I can't go to 3D movies. I can go to the new ones because they're not color-based. But yeah, I, I can't go to them. I just don't. I won't pay the money. Going back to like the journey, one of the the overall symbol in this movie. Don't. Don't. What? <laughs> I'm legit. Here we go. <laughs> I'm, I'm legitimately yawning because it's late. <laughs> <laughs> no, the overall symbol in this movie is probably like the train tracks. And it, like Lonnie was saying, it's a coming-of-age movie. The tracks symbolize a path or a measurement of life, and it shows where you are going. And looking back, you can kind of see it. It shows where you have been. And the boys were off to prove something to others as well as themselves, that they aren't the dorks or the losers that everybody keeps on saying that they are. The train represents death or danger. And when you hear the train whistle and scream, it can kind of be like a scary sound. And yeah, Corey Feldman, he likes to dance with death. Like, he was kind of on the brink of, well, not necessarily on the brink, but um, he doesn't take it seriously. So he was kind of dancing with the train there. The lights flash and the safety guard rails dropped, indicating the danger as a cross stop. And the cross stop is is the beaten path. That's pretty much what everybody follows. And that's what, like, the Cobras, they were taking the road, and these guys are taking the trails. They're cutting into the fields, and they chose to go off the beaten path and carve their own journeys. They talk about it when they're first starting the journey about we could take the tracks and be there in X amount of days, two days, or they can take this road and it'd be 20 miles. And they do that ominous look down the tracks where it's just that that focal point that's just a long journey. And they decide to take the tracks like I was wanting to count how many times it shows the tracks, but it's like, yeah, it's probably stupid. Yeah, Um, I'm already this far into it. It's just, that's a choice, and that's the choice they make as a group, and that's like the basic start of their their progression to becoming adults. I think that's the line where like they're leaving behind their childhood and coming back together, and that's really the end of their innocence. The running away from the train, not the the full-on face-first one, but the one from afar, it was actually girls who were the stunt doubles of... Really? Yeah. Huh, that's interesting. Well, older, old, not not little girls. But, well, yeah, I know. didn't think you meant like twelve year old girls. <laughs> like, hey, you girls so want a, you want a job? Yeah. Highlight. I want to jump off. I did want to know from your take, Jeremy. How was your anxiety when Teddy was going over the the boards, looking straight down to the water? Oh, Vern. Yeah, where he drops his comb. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it didn't bother me so much. No, um, fuck that noise. I, I I don't I don't know. I I mean, to me, I don't think it was. They didn't capture the the height to, to where it would give me anxiety. Like, I didn't feel like they were that high off the, the ground. Uh, so, it didn't bother me much. I mean, there was a little bit of anxiety as, like, you see some of the shots that they did when the train was approaching them. were like, oh, my God, that's on their fucking heels. Like, that's right. just crazy. Yeah, that's so just it, a lens technique. Yeah, yeah. but that yeah, didn't bother me so I much. I think the most dangerous scene in this is the chicken part that Ace was doing. Like, right when that... that vehicle with the logs passing i mean that was a final oh. destination movie right there but right <laughs> yeah. when that passed like the logs fell off i'm like those are the actors driving that and like they're missing those logs like 
That was fucking dangerous. Yeah. Was, that was a risk right a lot there. One of those yeah. could have went through the windshield super easy. So by Kiefer Souther, what do you Reefer Souther? Reefer Souther. <laughs> Reefer Sutherland. As they finish their journey, they find the body, they cover up the body, they go, they they make their way back to the town. Everybody leaves, they go their opposite ways. Vern finds a penny. I his, thought he was gonna get hit by a car. I'm being completely <laughs> honest with you. Um that was the last time I saw him. <laughs> that was, hey guys, uh, a bit. <laughs> he bends over. He's like a dollar. And and the train finally comes. The <laughs> train barrels by. They all kind of get their story. Their story ends there, with the exception of Gordy's story. It all ends there. It's kind of a sad thing. Like you, you guys ever go to summer school? And then you make friends with somebody, and then. That's the last time you saw him. It's like, no, I actually was smart and did good. <laughs> I was so good oh, in school that they asked to me to Iowa. come to summer school. <laughs> That's kind of what I was going to ask earlier too, is like, you know, Gordy talks about how after that. Friends just drift apart. And- yeah. And it's, it's just kind of weird because if they went through that much together, it's like, was it this journey that caused them to split apart or, or what? Oh, yeah. But it's also because they're exploring themselves as well. Like that Labor Day weekend. They were like the best of friends. And then you do have like those friends where you look back and like both of you guys or girls or whoever, you don't necessarily reach out. You're just like, wow, man, that was, man. You just think about it. You reminisce. Yeah. Like at 12, like how many friends did you have when you were 12 years old that you still have now? Every single one of them. Every single one. Just kidding. Both of them. (laughs) (laughs) But like my mom's still my friend. (laughs) My mom's my best friend. But I mean, like, seriously, at that age, though, like, I don't think I think I have one friend that I still keep in contact with. I had when I was that young. And then I, that's all my friends. I, if, we're, if we're going like 12 years old, I don't talk to anybody that I was friends with back then. Yeah. And I think that's what they were trying to emphasize, like, because they were going into middle school. They were all splitting up, going their own ways. Like that and was they were a- even worried about splitting up the. You know, it's like you're not gonna, we're not gonna be friends, or not gonna remember me. Well, that was a big, that was a big dissension between Chris and Gordy, as as Gordy was talking about just going and being classes with them, and Chris chewed his ass about yeah. how he had a gift and he should use it, and in the end, Chris actually went above and beyond trying to go to college with Gordy and how it was hard on him, but he did it, became a lawyer. It's like he rose out of his family. It's like. Man, that breakdown scene with of Chris where he's talking about he was blamed of stealing something even though, like... The milk money, yeah. Yeah. It's like he... Just because he has the name, he's automatically deemed yeah. as a, a loser. But then he's like, did you take the money? He's like, yeah. I did. So, <laughs> Fuck yeah. Well, yeah. It was Playboys for a good, ain't free. It's for a good good cause. <laughs> His brother, Eyeball Chambers, was Philip from Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Little nugget of factoid. So we heard a little bit. About what you would change. What else would you want to change in this movie? My biggest thing was adding something. Some other kind of plot twist or or just something. Like they had these kids had a gun and it's like somebody should have got it. And maybe one if one of them like carrying the gun, it actually, it would probably be more uh, Vern that, carrying the gun, being careless with it and have it go off and like maybe shoot himself in the foot or whatever. And now it's like they're, they're far into this journey and their friends bleeding out. So, I mean, they have to do whatever to try to save him and, you know, they, they can grow from this thing that happened to them. And, you know, with them being so far away, it's like 
their friend could die. Right. I mean, just, just something like, you know, we know that they wanted to go see this body, but it's like, what if they didn't get to this body? What if they were almost there and then something else happened to prevent them from getting to the body? Now it's just like, I don't know, just, just something along those lines. Cause I, like I said, it's, it wasn't a bad movie. And I, I, I know that sounds weird with everything I'm saying, <laughs> but I, I mean, it's just, it was a movie. Right. And I don't think, I think that a lot more could have been done to it. I mean, who am I to say that? Look at the popularity of this movie, fucking almost 40 years later, we're, we're approaching 35, 30, yeah. 36 years later. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I would do. I would just add a little something else. Spice it up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you if there was something, you know, with the way that Chris does die where he's older and he breaks up a fight and gets stabbed in the neck. Is there meaning behind behind the way that he he died to you no i i think more for the actors themselves it was kind of more meat to that one like will wheaton he did kind of go into his character he did become a writer actor writer mm-hmm. um rivers phoenix was the first of all of them to die chris and Vern, jerry o'connell like he was the happy-go-lucky guy and he that is jerry o'connell like he found the, that lucky penny and made more accomplishments than the rest. And he married Rebecca Romaine and uh, Corey Feldman, who played Teddy. He did have a bad ear. <laughs> so making crappy music, he had a fucked up family situation. Oh, <laughs> Oof, he's, he's doing odd jobs, all these stuff. And he even got into the army or got his own army, sorry, with his Corey Feldman army of band members. <laughs> but no, as far as like. He's no longer listening to our podcast. <laughs> Sorry, Corey. We still have. Do your best, Corey Feldman impression. A. A. <laughs> a. Sorry. I, nope, that's not it. Sounds like a fucking like New York you know, carpet king. Corey Feldman, like he gets a lot of shit. He's kind of no, no, no. no. I shouldn't probably put him up with Polly Shore. Polly Shore is probably a little bit better. <laughs> but fuck you, Corey Feldman. Like he I can't believe you compared. Corey Feldman, the Polly Shore, That's and Corey Feldman's the one who got Why knocked out of the Why never do a movie together? <laughs> I don't know. We, the fucking Hollywood missed the boat on With Keratov. God. <laughs> fucking Brendan Fraser picking up the back end. Corey Feldman was in a lot of shit. Yeah, he was. He's a huge and dude, I love, like, of me. He was... Well, like, like Dream of a Little Dream. Movie's like, fan I fucking did, I loved that. I was a huge so Michael good. Jackson fan, and how he rode... Okay, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> dream a little dream, man. That movie, like, there, that would be a movie that we should cover just so, like, here, you have the next 40 minutes to tell everyone what Dream a Little Dream's about. <laughs> Amazing. I love that movie. It, so it's, it's pretty much the notebook, like... Just not as... But, like, not sad. as good. <laughs> it doesn't make nearly as much sense. I mean, Corey Feldman, he plays, like, such great supporting roles, like, just the... Oh, like, yeah. like, in Lost The, the Burbs with yeah. uh, Tom yeah. Hanks, like, is... The pizza dude's come. Like, he's just so good. And, I mean, and he's a voice of one of the Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, he does have a sounding voice. Like, he... His voice has a presence. Just not when he sings. I just know, like, around, <laughs> around that time period, the Stand By Me, I, that's his schedule is huge because he I was know. doing, he was doing Goonies and Friday the Thirteenth Part Four yeah. at the exact same time. Like yeah. he would literally do Goonies one day, fly over here, do Friday the Thirteenth that day, fly back and do Goonies, and yeah, he I'm, 
for this character, it fit him well because he was suffering trauma with his family in his real life. But oh, those in, in the whoa, opening that was an exciting. I do that yeah. every time. Whoa, whoa! <laughs> you just don't know when. But like the the That's what she said in the opening where he's reading the magazine, like those back cover twenty five cent like send this in for. I love those things way back in the day. Like the um, it was just like the stupid novelty. Yeah, stuff. Like the decoder rings and the yeah. It's like get a sea monkey snake in a bag. Oh, fuck, dude. That's the only thing I got caught stealing as a kid was sea monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> you would, but yeah, I miss those 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 magazines with like the little ads at the back. I guess you know. I mean, that's the thing with this movie is like I guess I don't see much of my childhood in it. My friends and I were adventurous and did stuff, but it's just like. I see myself in like a lot of movies, like I don't know. Like Boys that. in the Hood. Man, that was me. Like <laughs> I could see that. Yeah, Barbershop. <laughs> Friday. Yeah, I miss those. But would you would you have changed anything in the movie, Justin? Yes. These the story that Gordy tells. It, it seemed like a movie inside of a movie where they you know lard ass. I don't know if that was necessary. Like yeah, I didn't quite. It understand. tells a story, you get the visual of it, but it's a break, and maybe it's so long of a break before it comes back, it's like, what happened next? And If I'm being honest, that's the part of the movie where my uh, attention was gone for the longest time. I felt I, like it could I, have I, been a shorter story yeah, and continued yeah. with the boys' story. Mm-hmm. There was a, I'm going to get into it now, there was a part where they flipped four tells simultaneously, the, the what are the odds? What are the odds of four tails? And a fifty-fifty. A tail in general, it kind of denotes the sensuous separated, like you're separated from your senses and to be removed from the senses, which which it's fixes its direction downward to the earth, the tail does. It's away from the heaven. And the beast or the animals, they look to the earth. Here and man looks to the heavens. Again, and man. the boys were the unconsciously, they were wanting the attention that they deserved. And, and Gordy wanting that recognition outside his brother's shadow. And Teddy to be more than a family of loonies. And Chris to be respected instead of grouped with his family's mistakes. And Vern to be not just a fat kid or a blunt of the jokes. They were wanting to turn the heads, to flip the coin, to look to the sky and experience the inner growth for the Lord and his son towards the heads of the angels. Do you hear me, Brother Lonnie? The, the angels are lifted up, and, and he who is lifted upward by the Lord wills what is good and thinks what is true. And from this, a removal from the evils and the falsities, for this is the way of the righteousness and a movable word. And it might all sound like bullshit at this point, but I assure you there is much to be absorbed in these words I preach to you. Hararura. Brother Jeremy, do you feel the words I am shining down on you? If you can't, I want you to take a, a firm hand around my rod and let me guide you. <laughs> and to you, Brother Lonnie. It's been there the whole time. If I put four coins in your right hand, now could you give me head? You want to get that the heads? shit back. Turn it, turn it, flip it heads. They, they rolled, fo- never mind. Just keep going. <laughs> that, uh. How do you follow that up? That was special. <laughs> do you know oh, the, like this. the Castilian? The Castilian Spanish version of no, this. You're just over that. Yeah. That you that you, lo- you lost it. So Gordy, oh, it's kind of it's kind of like Gordo, which is fat, a fat person. Gordo, and, yeah, Gordo. So they they called him Corny 
in the Spanish, the Castilian version. It's like, I don't know if that's any better. They call them corny. Corny? Yeah. Like, it's supposed to be short for Cornell. Oh. It's like, why don't you just call him Gordon instead of Gordy in the Spanish version? So there is one thing I would change about this movie. Uh-oh. Hey, Lord S. Exactly. Chow down. The, the, it, it, it irritates me a little bit that they're, they're calling this kid Lardass and all these people, and they put him in this big giant fat suit, and then they're like, there's this kid they call was him Lardass. He was like 180 pounds. I'm like, fuck you. Like, if that kid's 180, then, like, I must be hideous at 205. <laughs> that was a fat suit? Maybe. I don't know. That's don't why he's 180. Was. Yeah, no, it, it kind of looked. I couldn't tell if it was real. a fat suit. Yeah. For the practical effects back then, I don't know if they had fat suits down. That no, long. no, that was they some, didn't even have it down in the nineties. That was some of the best fake projectile vomiting though I have ever seen. Really, <laughs> <laughs> it looked real to me. All yeah. purple, everybody's but, but, was in sync, and the fact that it was like way over here, <laughs> <laughs> not coming out of their not chin, out of their like throat. The good, good Saturday Night Live style <laughs> vomiting where that <laughs> comes out of their sleeve. <laughs> You know, one thing about how they didn't realize what this movie was, they really didn't even have, like, a premiere for it. No. Uh, Jerry O'Connell said that he went to a small movie theater with his, I think, grandma and grandpa, and they were the only ones. This is like, opening weekend of it. They were the only ones in the theater, and when the movie got done, the lady that worked the theater looked at Jerry O'Connell and was like, were you the boy that was in the movie? And he's like, yeah. So she gave him their money back. She's like, we don't, movie stars don't have to pay here. And like he said, his grandpa gloated about that for the rest of his life, about how they didn't have to pay to watch their grandson in a movie and this and that. But I mean, that's just kind of crazy that what this movie is nowadays, how much more of a classic it's become than right. when it first came out. Like, they didn't realize what they had back then. Yeah, opening weekend, it only made 242000 on an $8 million budget. Mm. Jeez. I mean, worldwide now, like, it's well over the $50 million mark. But, yeah, opening weekend of an $8 million budget barely made 240000 which, with the cast it had, I mean, I guess a lot of those people... Weren't, weren't anything weren't yeah, their yeah, names yet, them. but yeah i remember o'connell was saying something like it was a year or two after it's rap that it became a hit it's like most of the people thought yeah you'll just do this and then go on to do something else and this is just filling a spot it's kind of weird because you think of these movies that like jerry o'connell i always think of him and jerry Maguire as cushman oh, yeah. and uh the thing is is that movie that jerry Maguire doesn't seem like it's that old of a movie to me and he looks like he, Jerry O'Connell looks like he's like in his like 30s in that movie. But in reality, that was like not even 10 years after Stand By Me was made. Because mm-hmm. 86 for Stand By Me, and I think Jerry Maguire was 95, 96 when it came out. And it's just like, he look, he went from, in 10 years, he went from a small pudgy kid to this built. Well, it wasn't man. even a year after, like he did lose much of the weight. He had 96 for well, Jerry Maguire. He actually wasn't. That big because yeah, that scene when they take they take their shirts and stuff off it's like yeah, he just a regular he had boy. he had baby fat it's like all it was a real life boy yeah I, I'm assuming it was probably like a year after that movie he probably just had that growth yeah. spurt and you well know, he it. he had a trainer his mom went to a gym and they had like a trainer who helped him out with like you know writing down his stuff and he he learned that at an early age and like what was that one movie where 
they superimposed another version of him. They were like twin jocks who were, uh, it was like a, was it not another TV or it was something like that. I want to say, ah, oh, fuck, what was it? It doesn't matter. Yes, it does. It does to me. It does to me. It, it's still real to me. <laughs> yeah, was... whatever. <sighs> well, boys, I think that's wrapping it up for us for the night. You think so? Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, next next episode's going to be yours, Sir Justin. What you what you thinking? I it's kind of been taking me a while to decide on something, and I think I am going to do 2005's Killzone, starring Donnie Yen and Sammo Hung, my my Chinese pappy. Is this subtitles? See, oh boy. I mean, she she. <laughs> oh no. Well, and you know, after that episode, the next. BPT movie review after yours we will have another special guest as of right now it's a uh, old friend of mine that I haven't seen for a while who's a movie fanatic Joe O'Connor since you were 12 um, years old yes we'll uh, <laughs> announce what his movie is on our next episode nice well everybody thank you for listening uh, we appreciate it all and we will hear from you next time don't go out like that go out strong <laughs> This is your favorite movie, right? Okay, let's go out strong. <gasps> Goodbye, everybody. Thank you so much. We'll hear from you next week. Mm, eat it. <laughs> oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. This concludes our broadcast day. Click. <laughs>